Welcome everybody to episode 59 of SB Unfurled and Friends. Lil Bon X here with SB Unfurled. It's been a while for us. Uh, Unfurled and I have been busy, haven't been able to get on the same page. We are locked in, loaded, ready for this final push to the A-10 tournament. But before we get to that, we have to talk about the insanity that happened on CBS Sports Network on Saturday afternoon. Fordham pushed Dayton to the end. On the road, surprisingly. That was clearly the biggest thing that happened, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's also an upset. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into the Davidson stuff, of course. But, yes, you're right. There was some wild A-10 action. I was in the in the first half looking at the scores on my phone. We were thinking about previewing LaSalle, UMass a little bit. But who the hell knows what's going to happen, not only in the A-10, but especially with this Bonnet team. You just never know which team is going to show up. I've been calling it a mystery box because we're averaging 85 points a game in our wins, and we're only averaging 62 points a game in our losses. But then if you look at our next two opponents, LaSalle and UMass, LaSalle upset UMass on Saturday too while we were watching the Bonnet game. So that's just another example. Who knows? Like You can say, hey, we'll go in. We should beat LaSalle, UMass might be tough but i mean the the explos beat the minutemen on saturday you just never know that's why you can't take even you know a, a down davidson team yes they pushed us to the brink and it took us uh five extra minutes to get the win but you gotta just take these wins in stride man it's a it's a crazy league yeah that LaSalle win over UMass is exactly what we kind of needed if we're talking about the double buy and even getting a five seed if the double buy seems a little out of reach because of us competing directly with UMass for that number five spot and potentially number four spot. But yeah, I mean, I think we would have been doing the same podcast over and over and over for like the last five weeks if we kept coming on because it would have been Bonnie's had a great win and then they had a terrible loss. Great performance and a win, terrible loss. Like it's been, I kind of thought of it as being like the Bonnet coaster the Bonner roller coaster here that's been happening. And I think we even saw it in this past week because Fordham, that was one of their best performances of the season. And then the Davidson game was one of their worst performances that ended in a win. Uh, according to, like, I just look at like Bartorvik, which has like a lot of the great, you know, game scores. And yeah, I mean, it's the only wins that we performed worse in were, Bucknell and Longwood, and I guess slightly worse against VCU. So it's that was not a great performance out of us. I thought that we needed to pull away from Davidson so many times in that game, and I was I was stunned it didn't happen. Uh, but let's just get right to the number one thing in that game, which was the end. You were in the Riley Center, and I was not. So this is yeah. a perfect opportunity for us to explain yeah. to everybody what exactly the difference in reaction was. So let's hear from you since yeah. you were actually in the building and not being misled. What was it like yeah. at the end possession when Davidson got the offensive rebound and had a three, two, four, what was it? We don't know. So what was it like? <laughs> Man, I so totally different reaction than what it would have been if I was watching on TV, like you and a lot of other people. And I was shocked to see like the reaction after and what was going on from my angle. I was up behind the Davidson bench. So when he shot it, I couldn't even see his lower body, let alone his feet or anything. Cause the bench was standing up. All the fans were standing up. Great atmosphere. I'm screaming like after they got that offensive rebound, I'm screaming foul, foul. Like we're up three. Um, and I know there's, you know, different opinions on if we should or shouldn't, but, um, 
um, yeah, they kick it out and it goes in and I'm like, oh, here we go again. This is going to be a total heartbreaker. Just like last year, the same weekend against GW and overtime, we lost the heartbreaker. Another game against Davidson that's just totally bananas in the Riley Center. Um, so when they went to review, I'm assuming the three is good. I never got the sense and no one around me got the sense in the arena that there was ever a foul call like the announcers <laughs> were talking about. I thought they were reviewing how much time was left on the clock because the shot goes in and then I think the buzzer goes off just a few tenths of a second after the shot goes in. I'm like, well, maybe they're going to put point two on the clock just to make it you know, official and then we're going to go into two overtimes. So when I tweet out something like, I, I think I tweeted out like foul up three or something like that. A bunch of people start responding, foot on the line, foot on the line. There was no replay in the arena. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, shit. Okay, maybe we did win this game. Um, And that made those five minutes or however long we waited for that review much better. So thank you for all the people out there who eased my mind and the people around me saying, no, his foot was on the line. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of just a waiting game to make it official. And then when I go back and look at what other people went through, which you can talk about your perspective, I was like, oh my God, if I was watching this at home, no matter which team you're on, because either way you're like, wow, this is just crazy misinformation. um, It would have been a brutal wait to think, oh, we might actually lose this game. But yeah, (laughs) what was your perspective when you were watching it? Because I watched it back and those just those announcers what what was your feeling there in those two three four minutes it's the rare circumstance when not being there is more stressful than being there because it yeah. sounds like to you you were more worried about okay maybe this will go to double overtime or not mm-hmm. i was thinking 0.4 all over again some kind of yeah. absolute calamity at the end of the game first off we didn't mention it that there was an over the back call that they missed on daryl against daryl banks like Conchera went yep. over the back to get that rebound in the first place. So I'm glad that at least that referee mistake didn't take over the game. The announcers, like you mentioned, they were very, very, very emphatic that there was a foul called. And of course, in the heat of the end of the game, I was not looking at the referees. I was freaking out about Conchera getting that second chance and jumping back for a three that instantly swished, like barely even touched the net, of course. But it turns out he he had his foot on the line as a two. Yeah, I don't know. I know the problem in the Riley Center for announcing crews is that they're right near the student section on the opposite end of the court from where the you know where the scores table is, where both teams' benches are. I feel like they would have probably known that it wasn't a foul called on the floor if they were on the other side of the court because those two guys, they tend to do a lot of A-10 games, and I feel like they have some knowledge, but that was that was an announcing disaster class, to say the least. I was petrified for five minutes. It was I was thinking, oh, God. Even when I saw his foot on the line, I'm like, yeah, but are they going to say it's too blurry? Is it going to be too pixelated, and they're going to have to go with a call on the court so it would be a three and a foul? But then they inbounded the ball. The Bonnie's inbound of the ball with 0.2 or whatever left. And I thought, what, mm-hmm. w- w- did, did they not show a free throw or something? And then the, the announcers didn't even really address it. They're like, oh, I guess they were, uh, took away the foul, which you can't take away a foul in reviews. Right. That's not how that works. Yeah. So <clears throat> it was just baffling. I heard somebody mention that they li- were listening to Gary Neese and he never mentioned a foul. So shout out to Gary. And maybe that's why I think the, CBS announcers would have gotten it right 
if they were on the other side of the court. So maybe that's something we should look into if we can fit, you know, a broadcasting booth on the other side. So it's a little less confusing for the announcers and not giving some of us uh, panic attacks, heart attacks, whatever mental crisis that we were all going through if we were not fortunate enough to be there on 80s weekend. So yeah, that was that was crazy. But I think that play was a good microcosm of the whole game because every time we tried to pull away, Davidson had an answer. Davidson got a lot of second chance points. Davidson was able to get some open threes and clutch situations or just annihilating us on the backdoor cut. I mean, generally speaking, what do you think about how Davidson was able to constantly respond to the point where that game almost feels like a draw. That feels like a tie, even though we technically won. Yeah, you. I mean, you have to credit Davidson. They, you know, and they didn't beat us in the way that they usually do, right? Like you think Davidson, oh, they're going to hit 12, 14 threes against us. They were only nine of 24 from deep. They're one of the worst shooting teams in the whole conference. Um, so, you know, they went with four guards quite a bit, which really, you know, helped them space it out. But Connor Cochera was just one of the better games you'll see in the Riley Center in the last few years. Um, um, and who's the the other guy who had a an AJ Green like perform? Oh, Shulga when when VCU yeah, came Shulga. here. You know, the, I think Shulga and uh, Coachera had probably two of the best individual performances you'll see in the Riley Center this year. He was scoring in all different kinds of ways. Um, you know, obviously the threes, but you know, Davidson just classic Davidson executing their half court sets, their cuts, their back doors, um, their drives. They were scoring all kinds of ways. You mentioned it, um, beating us on the offensive rebounding 11 to four. I think it was, you know, 17 to two second chance points. So if there's one thing we saw in the first game, against Longwood, they did a great job getting offensive rebounds, second chance points. We've been much better defensive rebounding and holding teams, but Davidson really took advantage of uh, the offensive glass. So, you know, credit to them. They came out, they knew exactly what we were going to do, especially when it came to, you know, our dump downs to venting and how we like to run our offense. Um, and especially the difference between when Venning in and when Brown is in, I was kind of saying this after the Fordham game, our offense looked much more fluid and had better spacing when Brown was in, I thought. Um, and this isn't, you know, th- this isn't to say Venning shouldn't play more or, you know, should play less and Brown should play more necessarily. It's not really a a venting issue. I think it's more of a style issue and how we approach the game and how we attack defenses. Venting, I still say probably the best scoring big we've had since Nicholson, but when he's in, um, you know, it it does kind of, I I think it clogs the lane a little bit and it changes how we play because way too often, we just dump it down and there's four guys standing and watching. And, you know, we have four 1,000 point scorers on this team. So even though Venning is very good scoring and offensively, just dumping it down and standing around makes our offense go really, really stagnant. And it affects us on both ends. But um, I actually heard Matt McKillop, Davidson's coach, address this and how they were going to, um, you know, not really not not attack venting but how just how they were going to deal with venting in the paint so i know we got a clip of that if you want to throw it to uh to matt mckillop and how davidson guarded our uh, our big men i actually thought brown was more effective than um than venting they run a lot of plays for venting 
and it, it allows you to be ready for it. It allows you to kind of load up and be in the right spots and, and take his duckins away. For, for Brown, they really just ball screen and then run him to the rim, and um, and then he just carves out space. And, and, and when he has space, he's going to get the rebound if, if you miss, but if, when he has space and he catches it so deep, it's it's really, really tough to make him miss around the rim. And, um, I mean, that's why Venning is going to be a first-team All-League player. I think currently he's got like the highest rated. He's got the highest offensive rating in, in all of the A10. Um, I thought we did a pretty darn good job on him. I mean, he had 15 points, but anytime they double-teamed him, he, he he didn't make good decisions. It stagnated their offense, and they stopped going to him because of how that eliminated the way that they could flow offensively. So, um, you know, the the percentage they shot 56 from the field. That's not what we've been doing defensively. Um, but I don't think it really speaks to um, how good we were at times defensively. By the way, that audio was courtesy of the Davidson Radio Network, so thanks to them for that. Yeah, McKillop, he's got a great point with just how Brown was able to confuse uh, Davidson's defense a little more than than Venning was able to. I think when you mentioned the comparison to Nicholson and Venning, I almost wish we could like take a time machine and bring Nicholson to the 2024 team and trade him and trade Venning to the 2012 team. Cause I feel like Venning style of play is a little more 2012 went back when you typically saw more centers pounding it down low and working the block and stuff like that. Whereas Nicholson was way more of a stretch five. And that's something that I wish we could see more out of Venning and Brown. Although Brown is able to, work better on you know offensive off-ball screen moves and he's you know a little more active like when he ever has a chance to like drive into the lane whereas Venning is not as graceful with with his drives into the lane I still think it just is matchup dependent it may even not even be matchup dependent but game dependent where Venning may have a hot day Brown has had a hot streak in these past uh, two games he was lights out against Fordham and he didn't miss a shot against Davidson, but only eight points. But still, he had you know a very strong performance and was able to make the offense move better than than Venning did when he was out there. Do you think this is a chance for any kind of matchup dependent switch to have Brown eventually start, or is Venning going to you know still be the main focal point of the offense and the main starter? Venning's definitely going to start. You know, Brown, I think, is the best backup big maybe that we've ever had. We've been saying that all season. But, you know, the last two games especially, I thought there was a stretch there where he didn't play very well. You know, one of the games he looked totally out of it, um, but and he only played a couple minutes. The last two games, you know, Venning getting into foul trouble early, um, Brown had almost the entire half of uh, the the entire first half. I think it was against Fordham. Um, and, you know, once he, he can get in and, and feel like he doesn't, you know, need to press as much. And, you know, sometimes I think these guys think, hey, if I make it just a little mistake, I'm going to get pulled. If you're, a, if you're a reserve like a Luke or a Brown, I thought it was great for his confidence. I thought the ball movement was really good too. Um, but you know, to answer your question, it always should probably be like a 25, 15 minute split Venning getting 25 and Brown getting 15 that's without foul trouble. And then if, you know, if Venning gets into foul trouble early, maybe it's more close to 2020. I think, uh, Venning only played 15 against Fordham. Um, I also want to see if Venning picks up a quick first foul, get him out and put Brown in. I don't want Venning picking up two early fouls having I think to sit for 15 minutes yeah i've seen that yeah um but i don't think we did that against uh 
it was either Fordham or um, Davidson, maybe even both, where Venning picked up too quick. Then Brown has to play probably the rest of the half, unless you're putting uh, Evans in at the five, and he doesn't get a break. And then by, by you know, three, four minutes left, he's totally gassed. So I would like to see Venning come out after getting a quick foul, put Brown in. The drop-off isn't that much where you have to say, oh, well, Venning has to be in another few minutes until we hit our real rotation. Um, you know, Venning still played pretty well against Davidson. He had 15 points. I think we had three guys with 15 points. Um, we shot 56%, but I thought it was one of those games where I still thought Davidson played pretty well defensively, despite how well, you know, we were shooting. I thought our shot selection wasn't great. I would like to see us shooting more threes and not dumping it down so much. But, um, and I know we're getting into something, something totally different, but just to answer your question, like, no, I, I don't think at this point we're going to see any changes. Um, but it is good to see Brown and Asa get a lot more confidence over the last two games. Cause we need guys like that. Yeah. I, I think it was just an interesting question to ask. I think we both know that Venning is always going to be the starter unless he gets injured. Uh, like, I think the, you mentioned it, you know, we need to have more of a, you know, more of a shorter leash, so to speak, when Venning picks up a first foul. And I think Brown has more than proven that he's capable of it. You'll never see the two of them on the court at the same time because it's just going to be way too slow of an offensive performance. And you mentioned the 25-15 slip. Oh, go ahead. There are people who are still asking that. Like, if you look on uh, <laughs> the announcers said it over time, it's like we don't even play Barry and Asa together. Right. <laughs> Barry Evans is one of the most positionless players who played the three all last year, and that is my biggest frustration. When Asa is playing so well, like against Fordham, Barry can't even get in. Like, you can't find minutes for him at the three. To think that we're going to play Venning and Brown together is absurd. But sorry, I'd rather I just yeah, <laughs> I'd rather put Barry at the five for a minute or two every now yeah. and then a little more yeah. frequently. But that's what I was going to say with the split of twenty-five minutes and fifteen minutes for Brown that you mentioned. That's basically what we saw against Davidson because Noel Brown had fifteen minutes. I don't think he played it all in overtime. Chad had twenty-nine minutes, and I think the only time he came out in overtime was on the last possession or two when Barry Evans was in there as like a defensive disruptor as we always yes. see that he tends to do. So that's the split that we do see a lot. And if we want to go back to Fordham, it was actually the, the opposite. Team. It was the opposite. Noel Brown had 24 and Venning had 15 yeah. because you had to ride uh, Brown's hot <laughs> hand, although Venning still put up 15 points in 15 minutes. So there's clearly a place for both of them in this offense to thrive. And, you know, sometimes it will be Noel Brown because he's more – He's quick. He's more agile. He's quicker. He's better outside of the paint. But Venning is a more complete offensive threat. I feel like so it's you know there's there's a place for both of them. So that's you know what we're going to see. I think that's going to be big against um, LaSalle because we'll have a big matchup. We'll have a big advantage down low against them. And then UMass, we saw how Venning did really well against uh, Josh Cohen. Mm Hmm. Yeah, and I don't expect Cohen to have another off game like that. That's why the UMass game does worry me. Um, and I think we'll hopefully record again before the UMass game. But you're absolutely right. It's on Schmidt to pull the right levers in each game based on matchups with Venning and Brown. Um, and just uh, you know, one more thing. I thought, obviously, Asa was the story of the Fordham game. Yes. Um, and we have been waiting for that Asa to show up. 
And, you know, th that's more of what I thought this would be for the entire season. Um, obviously not hitting six of six every game, but um, <laughs> I thought he was he just looked more confident. And when the first one or two went in, he wasn't hesitating. And that's exactly what we need. Um, even in the Davidson game, he got the ball and had an open look at the top of the key and he passed it up. And dribbled. I th I don't know if it's because it wasn't the play we wanted to do, but he ends up passing it, and then we don't get a good look, or we end up, you know, dribbling the shot clock out and have to heave it with two two seconds left or something. Um, I want Asa and Micah to be taking more threes when they have them, even if it's in the first 10, 15 seconds of the shot clock. If Micah comes down and has an open look, I want him to pull the trigger. He uh, is, you know, top. I think five if not top like three in the a10 in three point percentage um but as a team i think you said we're 30 something in the country in three point percentage but we only take like i think we're 14th in the a10 and threes per field goal we need to shoot way more threes this is a good three-point shooting team you should be able to find a hot hand whether it's asa or micah or flowers or banks or pride there's a lot of guys like i said four 1000 point scorers among our guards um it shouldn't be so reliant on you know, pounding it inside or taking, we take way too many mid-range shots. We need to shoot more threes. And I thought, you know, Asa, if he can have that confidence and over the last five games heading into Brooklyn, that's going to be huge. But I just want quicker triggers for these guys. You know, if you have an open look, take it because we've seen if you pass up that open look and then you dribble and you try to, you know, get into the lane way too often, it ends up us just dribbling out the shot clock, frantically passing it around or dribbling and then end up fade away, chucking a contested, you know, long mid range two pointer that sometimes doesn't even hit the rim. Um, right. The best, the most efficient shot would be the early three pointer. I want to see more of that. Yeah, me too. I think we, that's why Davidson was able to hang around is that we were not shooting enough threes against them. We were only six of 15, which only shooting yeah. 15 three pointers yeah. in a, in a 2024 basketball game is not a recipe for success by any means. Right. Fortunately, we did hit at a 40% rate, but you know, if you kind of stretch that out, even assuming a little bit of a depreciation, 35%, but making like four or five more threes, that's mm -hmm. going to help help you win way more easily than than the case was on Saturday. Asa has taken a good step forward, and I think we really need him. Um, nine of twelve from three against Fordham and Davidson combined. I mean, he shot seven for seven against Fordham. He only had one miss in the entire yeah. game. What I've noticed from Asa in the last few weeks, even going back to like UMass and the Dayton game earlier this month. He's been shooting at a lot more – he's been shooting at different places on the court because in the early in the season, it was always the corner three. And, of course, the corner three is slightly easier theoretically because it's, you know, a few inches – I forgot how many inches closer to the hoop it is than, like, your top of the key three. But it's still a tough angle. You don't have, you know, you don't have the back backboard. It's a different perspective. He's moving a lot more on offense. And so he's also shooting at different points on the court. And so I think that's helping him get into a better rhythm by not being stagnant in one corner three spot where he's, you know, taking way more at the top of the key, taking way more at the side, like you mentioned earlier. He's, he's way more active on offense. And that in turn 
makes the entire offense move more fluidly. Mm-hmm. It gets less bogged down with the venting down low moves. It, it really opens it up if he's moving more. Yeah. And I was looking through all the stats. I was like, what is it? Because we are so hot or so cold. And I was like, what's that one bellwether stat I can find where it's like, if we do this, we're probably going to be that team that we've seen against Rhode Island and, you know, uh, some of the offensive explosions that we've had. Or if we don't, it might look more like the game against at Duquesne or here against Duquesne or, you know, at Richmond. Um If you look at assist to turnover ratio, because I was like, when we are moving the ball and we are throwing crisp passes and we're not passing it just like, oh, this is how it is in practice. So this guy is going to be here and I can just make this pass like it's in practice. When we're running sets with purpose and we are, you know, hunting shots and, you know, moving the ball around the perimeter and playing through our guards first and letting that open things up for venting rather than playing through venting and having um you know because he is not very good at passing out of the post having that become a, a black hole on offense in the lane and then there's no movement on the perimeter so if you look at assist to turnover ratio when we have more assists than turnovers we are 14 and one when we have wow. more turnovers than assists we're two and eight. Um, and by no means is turnover, our turnovers, a problem with this team. I think we're like t- third in the A10 in turnover. We do not turn it over very much. That is an assist stat. If when we move the ball very well, um, and when we play through our guards, we are much, much more difficult to beat. We're 14 and one. The only loss was at Dayton. And I thought we played pretty well at Dayton. You know, we were in that game and then the foul trouble, the the free throw discrepancy, whether you think the fouls were correct or not, the free throw discrepancy was still the difference there. Um, so playing through your guards and moving the ball, sharing the ball first is this team's recipe for success. And I think that will make Venning's life much easier. It would, it would. And I think with the guards, one thing I wanted to get into also is we've seen Moses Flowers starting quite a few games. He started against Rhodey exactly a month ago from the Davidson game, mm-hmm. January 17th. And since he had a 23-point explosion against St. Joe's, he's really fallen off in February in the last six games, counting VCU. He's only averaged four and two-thirds of a, of a point, so under five points a game in six games and three of those games he's had zero points which is really rough yeah i've like some of my favorite moses performances have been when he was coming off the bench especially against like binghamton and um i think niagara he was going off to like like these are the games that i i think he's thrived more in but of course since banks had his big slump at the beginning of the season that's really lingered until mid-january at least he hasn't you know, Moses has had to start, but Banks has kind of been turning it on a little bit. I think, um, you know, he was quiet against UMass, but other than that, he had 10 points against Davidson, hit a couple big threes. Um, he was tremendous as well in that St. Joe's game going back a few weeks. And that VCU game, he was one of the main reasons why we were able to make that 20-point comeback. Do you think it's time to start Banks again, or do we keep riding flowers, especially when we get into March and we have more clutch situations to worry about? 
No, I, I think once Schmidt makes that initial initial switch this late in the year, he's just going to ride it out. Um, and you know, I, I get what people are saying about the starting. It's a, it's weird because you're right. Like when Banks was coming off the bench or when Banks was starting, he looked like Flowers did when he was starting, and both of them seemed better off the bench. But down the stretch is when Banks was playing. So yeah, I mean, you can look at who's starting. I usually lean. And I know you do too. Like who is playing down the stretch is obviously more important, but you know, down the stretch against Davidson and in overtime banks was the guy that was in, not only was he in, he's the guy who was getting the last shot of regulation. Um, and I, you know, I think we got the ball with 29 seconds left and we called a timeout. Um, and it was tied at the end of regulation. So, you know, Schmidt's drawing up a play and, the play, I, it looked like the first read was to go into venting inside, maybe, but I, th- I'd have to watch again. I, th- I don't know if that was denied. So Banks was left to kind of just go into ISO mode, and there was no real second option. At least it looked pretty disheveled, especially for calling a timeout and you know setting something up. Again, credit to Cochera on that last possession in regulation, um, playing excellent defense on Banks to send it to OT. You know, Banks was in isolation, and he ended up just getting a really, really bad look. That's a bad last possession for regulation. But, um, no, I don't think they're going to switch the starters again at this point, barring, like, an injury or something weird happening, like the Adams-Wood situation and Duquesne. Um, And I don't have an answer about Flowers. Like, you know, I I looked at our conference-only stats of among our top seven minute getters, um, at least the ratings I use, uh, Flowers was the lowest. You know, he, Banks is outperforming him in conference-only play. Um, I don't know if it's uh, necessarily due to starting and not coming off the bench. Maybe these guys are better when they can see the flow of the game and they can come in um, and kind of be that that lift off the bench. But um, Flowers generally has been that like boomer bust. It seems like he'll have 20 plus, but then he'll kind of disappear. Honestly, that's a lot of our guys. Banks does it. Pride does it. I feel like our more consistent guys are like Adams, Woods, and Venning. And some of the the wings or the two guards are just, you know, either they're the player of the game or they're invisible for 30 plus minutes. So I don't know. It's, it's weird. Um, it would be great if both of them could get hot at the same time. I know I see people saying like Bonas could make a run in the A-10, but it depends on a guy like Banks or Asa or Flowers getting hot and being that really, really good third or fourth option. Yeah. I don't think Banks has quite earned his way back into the starting lineup, but I think it could happen if we see him, you know, start to really start catching fire as we get into as we get into March, because, you know, he has the pedigree of, we always hear it every game that he played in the elite eight with St. Peter's. We know, we know Mm -hmm. he has that experience at a higher level than Moses had at Hartford where they're now D three actually. So that's the whole different mess, but you know, I think, yeah, I think you still have to start Moses for now, but I would not be surprised if, you know, Banks being from nearby New Jersey goes off for like 25 points against LaSalle in there in the Gola and we start riding him more. So I, I, I think I think it's possible. I certainly think it's possible that that Banks could take him over as um, as a starting two guard. And I think that, that that would be a good sign for us because ultimately he was, you know, first team all a 10 in the preseason. He had a great mm-hmm. he was our main threat to score last season. So clearly 
he has the capability to lead us. As we get into the A-10, we have five games left. We are in the heat of the season here. This is like this is crunch time, we know. Right now, the double-buy debate is not really much of a debate, but it's not dead yet. So right, right now, as we sit here recording on President's Day, Monday, February 29th, as I filibuster to pull up the standings of the A-10. I should have had these memorized by now because I look at them like 20 times a day. <laughs> a uh, VCU is two and a half games ahead of us in fourth place at nine and three. We are seven and six. So VCU has a game in hand. However, I will say VCU has, I don't know if they have the toughest A-10 schedule remaining, but they got a really tough schedule. They play, by the time you're listening to this tonight, Tuesday night, uh, at UMass. And then they have a home game against St. Joe's, who is better than their record probably indicates. Billy Lang, maybe he can, you know, pull a rabbit out of his hat like he did almost did at Kentucky. Then they got Rhodey at home. That probably should be a win for VCU. But then they end the season at Richmond. Richmond, we know, is really tough this year. Duquesne at home. Is Duquesne for real? We don't. We still don't know the answer. And They're of not. course, they end the season at Dayton. So yeah. they have. I see four very tough games. Potentially five if Duquesne gets their act together. Which I'm not holding my breath on that. But if you know, I see four tough games where if we end the season tied with VCU, don't forget we have the tiebreaker. So it would come down to that. But even that being said. It's still very unlikely. I think we have like a 15 to 20% chance on most of the metrics mm-hmm. of getting the double by. It's going to yeah. be tough because Loyola Richmond have had very, very easy schedules. And I'm not afraid, even Dayton, I'm not even that afraid of after our performance against them. I, I don't, I think we shouldn't get too sweat. We shouldn't sweat it too much with the double by compared to past years. Friday's an off day, so it really doesn't matter. You win two games, get a day off, and try to win two more. Yeah. Yep. What do you make of the final push to get the double by with us, with UMass? George Mason is still in the mix, so to speak. I think, you know, once you hit seven losses, you're kind of out of the race. So UMass yep. is seven and six. Mason, six and six. They have a tiebreaker over us, unfortunately, but who knows if it would even get down to that crazy situation. So overall, what do you make of the double by race this year? I can't remember a year where this early it looked like the top four were pretty much locked up. Certainly the top three, Dayton, Richmond, Loyola, all above like 96% to get the double by. VCU is there in fourth at about around 75% to get the double by. That extra 25%, 15 of it's us, 10 of it's UMass. So yeah, like you said, 15% chance to get a double by right now. How that would happen? Um Let's say we lose one more game because if you look at our schedule, you know, we do have a couple tough games at UMass and then Loyola, like you said, has been playing really well, um, even though they have. Uh, well, I, I watched them against Rhodey. They weren't as impressive as I thought for some of that game, but they're still playing very well. Um, so let's be generous. Let's say we end the season four and one. Um, that would give us 11 and seven record. 
So to catch VCU, they would have to finish their last six games two and four. They have to um, lose those road games then at St. At home against St. Joe's. Yeah. That'd so yeah, like with how with how VCU is playing, seeing them They're finish two and four, you know, even though they have a tough schedule, I think at worst they'll probably finish three and three. That's why it's so tough to get that double by. That's when you look back at, you know, going one and three against Duquesne and Fordham really bites you in the ass. You know, you can't get swept by Duquesne and lose at home to Fordham. Um, You know, that, that really put us behind the eight ball when it comes to this stuff, because it could be like more of a 50, 50 split last weekend was the killer. Um, Cause it was 50, yeah. 50 VCU upsets Dayton on Friday. And then we lose to Duquesne. That was the big switch. So when you look back in a couple weeks at, Oh, why did we that like that weekend right there? Did it and credit to VCU. They, they beat Dayton, you know, like you can't say anything else. They're playing really, really well, but you know, we swept VCU, but we also got swept by Duquesne. So like you, it's, you know, two steps forward, two steps back almost. And we're just left, you know, kind of in, this mushy middle of the a10 with some of the teams you mentioned like umass george mason um and we're not really realistically able to push now for that double buy but you know last year um well was it last year i remember st louis when they beat us in the championship won four games in four days richmond when they upset i think dayton and stole dayton's bid won four games um Last year was it VCU was the one seed, so they didn't. But yeah, it was a couple. Of it teams. was mainly chalk yeah. last year. Last year yeah. was very chalky. Yeah, and don't get me wrong; like the double buy is very important. But like you said, with that Friday off, you know we could. It, it's more about matchups. You said you wanted the five, but looking at it, like one and one one and four might be Dayton VCU, where two and three are Richmond Loyola. I would rather oh. be on that bottom half with Richmond and Loyola in the sixth seed. Um, yeah, I don't think still, I said that. <laughs> I, I want the I want the six over a five. Oh, um, okay. I, I thought you yeah. said you wanted the five. My bad. Okay. No, um, no, no. Yeah, I, I misheard you then. Yeah, so you know, you could say we want to get the highest seed possible. It's more about matchups to me, um, and we'll see how it shakes out. The game at UMass is going to be really big and you know we'll probably record ahead of that but um you know that could be the deciding factor between the five and the six we'll see um but yeah uh you know it doesn't look good right now um those things can change but the fact that there's only really one spot available and vcu is playing as well as they are it's tough yeah i don't i think it's you know it's different now than it has been when the Friday off day didn't exist. I kind of wish it didn't exist, but I think it helps us in this case. I think the double buy loses a lot of importance when you have that day off, because I remember back when, you know, back before the, uh, double, the Friday off day was a thing. If you were the six seed, you have to play at three, you'd have to play at like seven thirty, eight o'clock, maybe even eight thirty, nine o'clock. If the other game went to overtime, yeah, and on that Friday night, and then you have to turn around Saturday at three thirty, like less than eighteen hours after your game ended, you have to go play again. So I remember like Davidson when we lost that heartbreaker in twenty sixteen to them, they were completely dead against VCU the following afternoon. So we probably would have lost to VCU if we had beaten Dayton Davidson that day. So yeah, I think yeah. it's it's changed it's it's changed its importance. Um, but I still think you know you want to be very matchup dependent. I'm also not very worried because I think the top 
I'll say the top eight of the A10 if we go from David Staten to St. Joe's, including us. I think all eight of those teams are relatively the same talent level. I know Dayton's ranked number 16 this year, and their resume deserves it. I don't see how they are the 16th best team in the country. I don't I don't think they're going to be a number four seed, even if they win the A-10 tournament in the NCAA tournament. Um, when you watch you know, some of these teams like UConn and Auburn and North Carolina and Houston, those are real juggernaut teams that are not even close to Dayton's level. So I really think the A-10 at the top is a lot more equal than people may think, especially when you see Richmond and Loyola running away with them. I definitely want another shot at Richmond. I know we're not recording anything about Loyola until next week when we play them on Tuesday. I'm not afraid of them. I'm not even that afraid of Dayton. I thought we did a great job against them without playing, you know, our A plus game and out of out of this world game like Fordham may have done on Saturday against Dayton. So I I would want to I wouldn't be afraid of another shot at Dayton in Brooklyn, that's for sure. So that's maybe why I'm not as concerned about four, five, six. I don't want to slip any lower than that because then we're getting into a bad, uh, just a bad play, <laughs> bad play to end the season like we ended last year. I, I'm yeah. not really worried about matchups as much. I think it's no. a total crapshoot at the top eight, everybody between Dayton and St. Joe's. Yeah, and someone asked me, I think it was going into like the roadie game, what's the matchup you're looking for the most or like, you know, what, what team might be you know, troublesome for the Bonnies when it comes to matchups. Honestly, like when we lose, a lot of it is just us beating ourselves. Um, And that's maybe why you're saying like, oh, I'm not too worried about anyone specific matchup wise. Like when we need to just do our own thing and like do all the things that we talked about earlier in this episode and not beat ourselves by playing the style that we have played in many of our losses. Um, so I, I, I agree, like watching some of the other teams, we can beat anyone in the A-10. This is a team that can also lose anyone in the A-10 when they don't show yes. up. Uh, <laughs> That's very I important like, to mention too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it just depends on what Bonnet team shows up, not necessarily what opponent i mean i mean you know going into brooklyn it's gonna be like do we have momentum how are we looking the last couple games like last year going in it seemed like it was just a dead end um this year hopefully we can get some more momentum and be looking good because we can beat anyone in the league and go on a run if we are not shooting ourselves in the foot like we do half the games we've played in the in the a10 this season and of course if we're trying to go to brooklyn as fans You'd rather the six seed over the five seed. You'd rather play at seven thirty at night, and because of the Friday off day, it makes it easier for the team as well. So maybe you know, maybe we uh, take a dive against St. Louis and help Travis Ford keep his job <laughs> in the last game of the season, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Play a uh, million, Mar- play a million Martinez thirty five minutes. Let him get some run. <laughs> yeah, I want Travis Ford back. I want him. Oh, yeah. I want him here. A lifetime contract, please. Although it would be no. funny, like I remember in 2017, we beat UMass in the A10 tournament, and then they fired Derek Kellogg like four hours after the game. Like he didn't yeah. make it out of Pittsburgh. <laughs> right. I, I almost want us to be the last uh, A10 regular season loss for uh, Trappy. That would be funny um, in a few yeah. weeks. But before we get to all those games, I mean, we got LaSalle, and it's on the road, and. We've mentioned it how many countless times on this podcast. Mm-hmm. The Gola is a house of horrors. 2012, we lost to them. And I believe that 
was our last straw getting an at-large bid. Fortunately, we won the A-10 tournament, but that was a bad loss. I believe we also lost them in 2016 as well. And maybe even 2018. Did we lose them in 2018 as well in, in the GOLA? I'm, I got to look it up. I no, like lost I don't them. believe so. I feel like it's like been like every even number year we have like the bad. No, we beat LaSalle on the road that year, actually. So we did yeah. get past the House we, of Horrors there. But it was 2016. Yeah. Yep, that was our last loss before the A-10 tournament. Then we ended up losing the Davidson and had to go to the NIT, although we got snubbed that year. Regardless, the LaSalle loss did not help us. The House of Horrors is back, and not only is it back, I will be there with the Gola Boys. They gave me a free ticket. Shout out to nice. them. I will be, I will be in the city of brotherly love. I will finally smell and see the pool, the infamous pool under Tom Gola Arena. And I, I mean, I think it's going to be the last chance to because they're going to be redoing that arena in a few years. But LaSalle, we mentioned it earlier. They they beat UMass on Saturday. They were actually up by like 20 or something and then yeah. pissed away most of the lead, but then they ended up winning by one. So that was, let me see, their biggest lead was actually 18 points. But still, they had 18-point lead with 10 minutes left, and they threw that away. LaSalle is not a deep team. They basically run six. Uh, they still have Jameer Brickus, Khalil Brantley. Khalil Brantley is actually a junior. And Anwar Gill, those three guys have been there, I feel like, since before COVID. Yeah. So other than that UMass game, they had lost five straight beforehand. Didn't look very competitive in most of them, except maybe the game at Rhodey to start that losing streak. Then the only other wins are away wins at Fordham and at GW. So other than that UMass mm -hmm. win, they don't have any any good wins since they what since they yeah even even in their non-conference they do not have really any good wins it sounds like an easy win for us if you don't know the history of the gola so <laughs> the gola cometh for us all at some point it cometh for umass last weekend well it cometh for us on wednesday and that's the thing like it i was shocked by that not shocked, I guess, but I was was very surprised by that UMass score, um, just because of how bad LaSalle looked that previous couple weeks. Um, they got St. Louis at home and gave up 102 points to probably the worst team in the league. And if they're not the worst team in the league, LaSalle is the worst team in the league. Um, and that torched me in your yeah. survivor pool, by the way. <laughs> that game. Sorry about that. that. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the one time um, St. Louis you... gets, catches fire this year. <laughs> St. Louis, man, yeah, they uh, get putting up 102 is you can't let them do that. But you know, Sincere Parker is playing for them. He's playing really well for St. Louis. But yeah, as far as LaSalle, you mentioned Brickus. Um, he's playing. He probably playing best out of anyone on their team. Not really quite like an all conference caliber player, but you know, little point guard who knows what he's doing, and he he has been pretty good as well as Brantley. Um, I thought Deshaun Shepard was a guy for them who was going to take a much bigger step um, and, and really be a, a good wing guy for them to have a third option, but he has not been very impressive either in conference play. So it just comes down to, again, what Bona team is going to show up, because if we show up um, and we're like, all right, this is our chance to, you know, 
get another win and you know chip away at this double bye and get some momentum down the stretch here heading into a really huge game against UMass, then we should have no issues. But far too often teams go in, even really good teams, you know, really good Dayton teams of the past, really good bonnet teams in the past, like you said, um, a decent UMass team on Saturday. You go into there and I don't know the the trance that the gym puts on these players or something. <laughs> like it you know, a lot of teams go in there and they sleepwalk. It's a road game in the middle of the week, um, and there's probably not going to be much energy there. Um, I'll bring the energy. On a Wednesday, <laughs> on a Wednesday night, which is at 6.30. Don't tune in at 7. I believe my schedule is at 6.30. Um, it comes down to what Bonnet team is going to show up. I, I am at the point now, we, we did some really good scouting reports the first half of the season, to our credit, and we were spot on on a lot of them. The last few weeks i'm just like there's no point to even look much at the opponent or what they do well or <laughs> you know their weaknesses because it just depends on what bonnet team shows up it has been one of the more frustrating seasons that i can remember one of the more inconsistent um and unpredictable seasons that i can remember for the bonnies um just because you know the talent that that's out there it's not like last year where we were like you know, we just don't have the players, you know, we don't have the depth. Um, we're, we're, we got Anwar Malut coming in to back up venting out of position. Like this year you can see the pieces there and they just haven't been put together, which is why it's frustrating. So a game like Atlas Sal is a chance again to be like, can this team start to show up? You know, it, it has the, has the flip switched finally. And they're like, okay, now, you know, it's almost March. It's time to, it's go time. Um, I have no clue. I I'm, I'm done trying to predict what the hell is going to happen. Um, <laughs> even though I do still put out my predictions a lot, but, um, you know, if we're talking about LaSalle in general, they call them the killer bees, Brickus and Brantley, our guards should not, um, have any issue, I would say letting them completely take over because Brickus has taken over a couple games this season and looked really good with our guards and, you know, the we're bigger than them. Um, and Jokus down low, uh, a guy, by the way, who I believe we passed on to sign Maximatis in last season has been oh, okay, but he's right. by no means a formidable front court guy. So we should have advantages all over the floor against this LaSalle team. Yeah. The size sure. advantage is just, <laughs> Pointing out yeah. to me, A, number Correct. one, take advantage, Venning, Brown. Mm -hmm. Maybe even this is an opportunity to try some offensive sets with Barry Evans at the five, especially if uh, Joseph is out because they have very little size. Joseph is their only player above 6'8". You know, Anwar Gill, Khalil Brantley, Jameer Brickus are all kind of a similar type of guard, a little bit of a slasher. I mean, Brickus is a little undersized, but they still have, you know – they're very streaky shooters. That team is very streaky. That gym is very easy to um, get on a hot roll with them, but so are we. We're very streaky as well, so we'll have to see who gets into a uh, you know a, a hotter streak, as I mentioned. You know, defensively, they aren't very good. I mean, 102 points to St. Louis right there is enough. But even even going back through all their games, the last time they gave up less than 70 points was surprisingly against Dayton at home. But Dayton won 66-54, so they just uglied up that game. Other than that, that's the only time in A-10 play that they have given up less than 70 points. So as long as our offense has a strong performance, this should be an easy win. 
I say should be, but the Gola. And if if I'm there to watch a Gola per Gola, a Gola upset, a Gola just nightmare in person, I will I will be scarred for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, and just real quick to wrap LaSalle, the one thing that you know I was gonna say, like we if we can get out and turn them over and turn you know defense into offense get out and transition with some of our bigger guys and athletic guys i love seeing evans get a rebound and just go like old d old school Dion right used to do that just get it and go don't even look for the guard try to get some um you know get up and down with with those guys but lasalle if they are good at one thing, it is taking care of the ball. So credit to Brickus and Brantley and those guards, 20th in the country in turnover percentage. So they don't cough it up much. We're going to have to be able to create our own offense through our sets and, you know, hopefully play through the guards. And uh, I think that, you know, that should be a, a nice, comfortable win. Again, should. Yeah, let's hope so because the next game against UMass will be a little bit tougher and every win counts right now. Um, and of course, Fran Dumphy, Joe Mihalik are the two coaches on the sidelines for LaSalle. They've had some good performances against us. Joe Mihalik used to be um, at Hofstra and somewhere else I forgot. Was it Niagara? or Kansas? Niagara, yeah. Niagara, Niagara. Niagara, yeah. Yeah, so he's a, been a talented coach. He had some health issues and he's now come back into the coaching game as an assistant for LaSalle. So they'll have a good game plan to, to stop us. The question is, can they? And hopefully they can. <laughs> Money! We would like to welcome our newest friend here on SB Unfurled and Friends, Brian Conahan, class of 99 and a member of Team Unfurl. If you're not aware of Team Unfurl, it is Bonaventure's main NIL collective name, image, and likeness. The landscape of college sports has definitely changed in the last five or so years, and Team Unfurl is trying to keep Bonaventure in the race in the long term in the Atlantic 10. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. So, Team Unfurled, for people who are just very, very new to the NIL world, what does an NIL collective do? What is Team Unfurled's main goal? So, essentially, our our goal is to, uh, you know, obviously raise funds uh, and, and be able to um, bridge uh, NIL opportunities and uh, for, for, our, for our men's basketball players, you know. Um, name, image, and likeness when it was uh, became a thing was was essentially so uh, it, it was kind of inspired so guys could could make money on on their and on their name, image, and likeness. I always refer to the uh, if you've ever watched the Fab Five documentary, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Thirty for Thirty, and 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 uh, and Chris Weber's walking down the street with Mitch Album. And mm-hmm. he walks outside the store, and they're selling a Weber jersey for ninety dollars in 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 the thing. And he says to Mitch Album, "You know, hey, look, they're selling a jer- my jersey for ninety bucks, and I have five bucks in my pocket." Now, it, we know what he had in his pocket probably at the time <laughs> they threw those banners out. But ultimately, that's the idea, right? That it, you could sell a Weber jersey in uh, or, or a you know a Kyle Lofton jersey, um, you know, in in a store, and that player take uh, benefit from that. Or you know, you'd get uh, Daryl Banks or somebody to say, "Hey, the best restaurant in town is uh, Applebee's," you know, uh, and and they could get compensated for that. Um, what, what really started to to become was is that 
these third party collectives like what we are um, would, would would centralize the 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 brokering of those opportunities uh, for 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 our players and um, I think you know these these were instantaneously clicked in in the power five schools right they, they're just and funded quickly because they have the resources to do so um, you know ours came a little bit uh, slower to come around but uh, I think like everything else Bonaventure we're gonna we're you know we're building this uh, uniquely, uh, in, in our own way and, and, and really trying to, um, and really trying to speak to our fandom and our fan base in, in a way that they're maybe not used to, uh, when it comes to fundraising, because unlike anything else they get asked from the university, we're, we're not a charitable donation. Uh, and you're so, not also officially uh, directly affiliated with the university. It's technically its own entity, right? Correct. Not technically. It absolutely is its own entity. Collectives cannot be affiliated with the university. You'll have a lot of bigger schools. They'll have multiple collectives. Some, you know, if you're a football school, they'll have football collectives, they'll have basketball collectives. If you've got a big uh, gymnastics program, they'll have one one for all of those. In some cases, they have two for the same sport or three for the same sport, depending on, um, depending on how many, you know, interested alums or outside sources they've got. I mean, we're, Bonaventure, you know, we, you know, famously, there's only 30,000 of us living alum, right? Um, so we, um, we, we thankfully have a group of really good, like-minded individuals who um, really care about uh, not, you know, and I think that's the thing that's lost in a lot of this is that everybody thinks it's just about winning in basketball. You know, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I, I grew up in Brooklyn as far away from Olean and St. Bonaventure, New York as possible. And um, I, I got interested because I was a basketball manager in high school and my high school basketball coach's son was an assistant here at the time. And they suggested I should go there. And, and, and after my visit or like right around my visit, you know, the visit was okay. It was, uh, it was quiet, you know, and you've been around a campus visit, but I watched the uh, now famous David Vanderpool versus Temple game on TV. Nice. Um, and and I, I, I like, I literally, the hairs just stood up in the back of my, my neck. It was the first time I'd ever seen the, uh, the Riley Center. First time I'd ever heard it. And, I'm, and I immediately said, that's where I need to go to school. <laughs> um, if you ever met me, you know, I, I do not look like a basketball player. So um, <laughs> fair enough to say that, you know, and, and I've heard Coach Schmidt use this before, you know, it's our front porch, right? It is what brings visibility to our university um, in, in free ways. You know, when you're on CBS Sportsnet or, you know, USA or ESPN, that's um, invaluable free advertising for kids to, to, to our school. And I think um, it's no, it's no uh, mistake that our enrollment has continued to climb in the last 10 years, year after year. We keep breaking these freshman year records on enrollment. Um, it's not only to do with the fact that our basketball team is successful, but I think it'd be also naive to think that it doesn't have a big part of that. And and so um, forming the collective and getting our groups of alums together um, with, with a like-minded goal, um, we feel is essential not only to, to continue to be competitive in basketball, but to continue to keep our university thriving. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, the basketball team is the thing that binds the alums together. Like me personally, and I know a lot of people, it's it's the same way. Um, 
lot of really close friends who maybe now because you know i'm in my 30s my friends have families or they moved away the times that i get to hang out with them now whether it's once or twice a year are they it revolves around like a bana basketball game um like this past saturday was one example of them hanging out with people i see maybe once a year twice a year at most um and that you know the basketball team we obviously want the wins and losses but at bonaventure it is so much more than that compared to a school like you know tennessee or something like that um but as far as the the collective in general um what is it focused on more player retention is it more bringing guys in like your pride and adams woods who have been probably our two best players this year you know without those two guys we're probably bottom half of the a10 again and how do you how does the collective or the the people make the decisions on you know what is the market out there for certain guys Can, where do we allocate these funds that are are finite for saint bonaventure so it's a little bit of both and you know in in truth we're, we're figuring out that as we go along right we we've um you know I, and i think that's the the point of this right there there is no uh sort of official market value um within this within this universe yet right um, yeah. or, you know, because it, ultimately the market value is down to how much a school, uh, or a school's collective, I should say, uh, has in the bank and, and wants to pay to stock their roster or stack their roster, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you, you have to understand that the, the, the athletes who are, you're hearing these big multi-million dollar deals, the Shadur Sanders of the world, right. You know, Caitlin Clark, right. They're two great examples. You know, they're in State Farm commercials, <laughs> right. you know, so the, 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 those deals are such the one percent here. Um, I, I think, you know, and I, and I think there's other people probably a little bit more qualified than me to, to speak on 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 that number. But what, what we're really trying to do as a group is is to do things within our reason. Are, are we ever going to be in on the you know, I, I think our budget. You know, and I, 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 you know, I think our budget is equitable to what um, one player on Dayton is making this year. In wow. Iowa, right. And they have two players on that team making that money. Um, from what we've heard, there are there are people on there's a player on St. Louis making a number that's equitable to our entire budget. So I think when you look at it in NIL as we cross the across the A10, our our budget for NIL is pretty much going to be in, in alignment with how our regular operating budget as a program is compared to the rest of the A-10. Um, and I think if you, if you were to remove NIL from the picture, right, what Coach Smith's done in his tenure with having the lowest budget and all those things that have been mentioned a hundred thousand times, it's done pretty well, right? So we believe that you know, even if we're not going to be that team that's going to have the most money in, or if we're not going to be the collective, I should say, that has the most money to go after players, we think that with doing it our way or finding those right players and working on, um, uh, uh, working kind of in the same spirit, um, we're going to enable to remain uh, competitively that way. And, and that's, um, that's something that's usually, uh, you know, often debated or, or discussed uh, in our, in our, in our group as well.
So how successful can you kind of say the collective has been? Um, I know there's a big push right now to you know raise about 150 grand. Woj and his wife, they committed $50,000 to match um, donations for the season. Of course, this would be going towards future seasons. How is there, are there any ways that you can quantify like how successful the collective has been so far? I think the fact that we're already talking about how we're going to set ourselves up for the next seasons to come says we're, we're, we're doing well, you know, we're doing well, it, especially in a time where, you know, I, I think one of the things that we were, we were concerned about was, you know, again, you come back to, a school the size of Bonaventure, and you guys are alums, you know this as well, there, there's sometimes some massive donor fatigue, right? Yeah. You get hit up by the university, you get hit up by the athletic department, you often get hit up by uh, the school that you graduated from, right? I get solicited from the Jandoli School, I get solicited from the university, from <laughs> athletics. Um, you get you get, you get get hit from everywhere, and, and now, and you try to do whatever you can, you know, as little as you can or whatever you can, and now you're getting asked to support an NIL collective that's not tax deductible. Um, in oh, by the way, then throw on top of that a hundred and twenty-five million dollar capital campaign right. uh, that the university is going through, and we're like, where do we fit in this in this mm-hmm. arena, or where do we fit in this in this niche? Um, so our take was, you know what, we don't want to nest necessarily, you know, not everybody and God bless him, man. Woj is so committed. He's such a, you know, dedicated alum. It's not just a guy who writes checks. He puts his money where his mouth is and he, he will, he will read you the gospel of why this is so important to anybody who will want to listen. Right. But listen, not everybody can write his checks, right. Uh, Write that check. So we wanted to think about things a little bit differently, which was, Hey, you know what? You don't need to write us a $10,000 check. If you want to, great, we, we will take it. <laughs> but if we can engage the person who, you know, not just the alums who's been, who've been out of school for 10 years and now starting to make money, like from the student level, from the recent grad level, as little as 10 bucks a month, um, you know, and, and kind of build these subscription numbers uh, where we, we don't feel that we're competing with those other things. We feel like we're a part of it. And, and, and I think that's getting our alums and our fans to understand um, that this needs to be something that we do along with all the other things, right? Facilities are important. Practice facilities important. I've, I've been to a number, I don't, I don't, like unlike yourselves, I've been to a number of A-10 schools. Like you go to the practice facility at Loyola Chicago and your jaw drops. It's the, it's unbelievable. It's on Lake Michigan. It's like the nicest place I've ever been, but, and you realize that that's important. We want that stuff here, but you know, this is the chicken and egg argument, right? Would, would not be easier to fundraise for your athletics facilities. uh, If your athletic teams, especially your centerpiece team were continued, continue to be more successful and not, going to have a five win season because we can't recruit anybody or we can't sign anybody. You know? Um, so, um, you know, I think for our, our first year's perspective, we're all really pleased. We had another, uh, alum who did a $15,000 challenge, uh, in December, they, they wanted to remain anonymous. Um, and, and that challenge was successful. We, uh, they, they agreed to give us 15, 
um, said they would match up to another 15 for a total of a $30,000 uh, sponsorship. So we raised 45 just specifically in the month of December alone. Um, so the goal uh, with, with the Woj challenge now is, is, to, is to triple that here, uh, you know, in the last month of the season. Um, I will, you know, so at the time of recording, we're 20, you know, just about 24 hours removed from the announcement of that challenge. You know, I could say we've, we've already hit 10% of the match already. Nice. Um, which is phenomenal. You know, I, I, I kind of watch that, uh, ticker when, when the subscriptions come in, um, and, and they are exactly what we want them to be. They, you know, they're $10 a month, 25 bucks a month, hundred dollars a month. Um, you can typically tell around when a person graduated, you know, how they're participating, um, you know, and, and, and it, it, it's, it's really encouraging for me to see um, people receiving that message. Uh, you know, I think uh, awareness, you know, we, we have an, uh, we have an awareness issue um, as to who we are, what we're doing, uh, why it's important, um, you know, you can argue all day long if you don't, if you went to Bonaventure and you only you know, you, you didn't participate in anything related to basketball, even down to just being a fan. Um, you could debate that all day long and whether it's important or it's not. I, I'm, you know, I don't think any of us are going to argue that. But I think if you really have your, you know, you know, your uh, a clear vision, you understand its importance to us as as uh, as a university. And uh, I'm I'm personally really pleased uh, of the way it's going. I think um our vision needs to be for one of growth and sustainability. We're going to be able, you know, we're these other collectives, you know, there, there's a, you know, again, you hear, you hear a lot of things, right? You hear a lot of things. You hear that the Villanova collective has $10 million started by five people right now, whether it was $10 million started by five people or $10 million started by 50 people, um, you know, they've got enough money in the bank and enough resources to be able to hire a full-time director, <laughs> um, you know, hire third-party companies and afford to pay them, you know, the, 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 the space. I think that's what's been educational for me. You know, we're, we're doing this with seven volunteers, you know, the seven people who make up our board, which, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's myself. It is John Mickey, uh, who's a, a CPA in, in Olean and, um, you know, it, it John is a, uh, John's, we're all alums. John's an 83 grad. Uh, Brian Atia uh, is an 89 grad. Brian's an attorney in, in Hamburg. He also uh, maybe now more famously is part owner of the Burton. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have obviously have Woj. Um, we have a couple, we have three former players, uh, uh, Tyler Relf, uh, Denzel Gregg, uh, Denise D, who was a two sport athlete uh, at Bonas. We're, we're seven volunteers. Right, um, who who are giving up our time? We're not taking, you know. I think for transport, we're not taking anything uh, from this. We're not uh, charging commissions. That you know, I think that's one of the unbelievable things. There are nil collectives, third party agencies that are charging twenty, thirty percent commissions on the monies that they raise. And um, you know, we 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 can't do that, right? We don't have two million dollars or twenty million dollars or you know, a million dollars in our collective. So yeah, sure. We have enough money where we can do that. We're trying to get to the point where we can um, hire somebody who's impassioned about uh, what we're doing and deliver things um, the Bonaventure way. And, and I think, you know, not to be, yes, our goal is to 
raise as much money as possible and and connect these guys with these opportunities to make sure that they um to make sure that they're able to take advantage of what's available to them but when i talk about us trying to do things in a more bonaventure way you know we want to use our for lack of a better word collective pool of resources to do really unique things not only for um our players uh, but for our subscribers as well so um for example you know one of the things that nobody talks about in nil is that these guys have now tax implications right. that they need to face you know did, nobody talks about that right they they are essentially uh whether you're playing basketball at bonaventure and getting money or you are a baseball player at uh, fordham or it doesn't matter if you're a college athlete and you're getting money from via nil um, you are self-employed and exposed to self-employment taxation. And um, so it helps when one of the directors of your collective is a CPA. Um, so two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, John Mickey uh, held a one-hour seminar on coaching our guys on what they need to be aware of and for tax implications. Now, I, I'm not a betting man. But I would venture to say that there's nobody at, um, you know, there's nobody at, at the largest collectives of the largest universities saying, you know what, I'm going to volunteer of my time to come in and give a tax seminar to the players and make sure that they're aware. <laughs> right. That is a uniquely Bonaventure thing, right? Um, you know, so so doing things like that, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm in the I'm in the advertising marketing industry. You know, I, I'm trying to consult with guys on branding and awareness and things that they can um take with them beyond graduation um you know i think that that's the thing we're able to give back far more than just the ability to um make sure guys get nil packages you and can tell which one is uh <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you can tell which one is the the Franciscan school, the <laughs> the one not taking the twenty and thirty percent, the one educating and you know making sure that we give back. Um, I so for for those of us who you know the people who aren't maybe subscribers, how would they subscribe? Is it it's teamunfurl dot com? So it's teamunfurl dot com. Um, okay. you, you're gonna you can hit the support button. Support. Um, and there you you would find uh, I think we have I'm on it right six, now six available subscriptions uh, yep. ranging from ten bucks a month to five hundred bucks a month, uh, and then they come with some subscriber benefits, um, mm. you know that you know ranging from a, a member badge to um, to a, a signed T-shirt up to a quarter zip, so, some different experiences. You know, again, it, it's the and, and this is where most people have, have engaged. We have had people who have contacted us for a, a boutique uh, kind of arrangement. Um, and and we, we've done that. And I would encourage people to email us, uh, info at teamunfurl.com, or you can DM us, DM us on any of our social channels. Um, or if you're a business, um, so uh, <clears throat> depending on the situation, so if you're a subscriber through the collective, it is not a tax deductible um, amount. It's not a donation. Um, it, we are not a 501c3 uh, organization. Actually, a matter of fact, a lot of collectives which believe that was the route to go to have since uh, closed down and reopened as independent corporations. Uh, but 
you can, if you own a business, right? Uh, if you name, if you are business X and you are in, you know, Olean or Allegheny or, you know, wherever, and you want player Y to do uh, an advertisement for you on their Instagram and, and do a collab post or something like that, that is uh, well within, um, that, that is well within uh, our, um, well within our, our ability to do so. And, and if you're a business, um, you should consult with your, with your CPA, but in most cases, your, that type of thing would be a tax deductible business expense for, for app related to advertising. Um, but again, consult with your tax professional. I'm just a, a marketing guy. <laughs> um, but you know, going back real quick to the unique experiences. So we, we kind of did a, a small launch event, um, in Westchester in September, um, where we, uh, so I, I know it's been reported on, but you know Tom Thibodeau's coach of the Knicks is the son of a Bonnegrad. Um, yeah. His dad graduated in 1954. Tom has talked extensively. Uh, I think he did forget where he did an article um, when his dad passed away. It talked about his love of St. Bonaventure, coming up to the Riley Center as a kid, um, talking about players. Uh, you know his his affinity for the Lanier era players. And, you know, he, he, he uh, would talk about that and, and, and he and Woj obviously through the NBA have a connection. And uh, he said, you know, they, they, basically he offered of his time to help us um, with our, with our effort. And uh, we held an event in, in Westchester with uh, Tom Thibodeau um, where we had people buy tickets to come and, and it was a kind of an evening with a Q and a with, uh, Woj and, and him and, and, and coach Schmidt. And, um, you know, here's a guy who did not go to Bonas. Um, he, you know, he's the coach of the Knicks. He doesn't need to show up at a, a little Bona event with 60 people in the room. And here he is talking about Bona basketball, recanting, uh, famous memories of, of that he had with his, as his, as a child and literally getting choked up while talking about it, right? And and I think that's kind of the the thing where I don't know if I want to say tugging on the heartstrings, but look, you guys are you guys are younger than me. You know, I, I've been a Bonaventure fan since that that David Vanderpool game in, in 1995 when I was a high school senior, and lived through the last you know 30 years of all the ups and downs, like like you guys have. Right. And I think the one thing that, that we're trying to remind people is, you know, especially in the success we've had under Coach Schmidt, right? If NIL were a thing when Coach got his job, we're not here, right? We're not here talking about this anymore, reality, right? You know, it, it, you, you, you strike gold and you find this gem in Andrew Nicholson, you know, Andrew would have never made it past his freshman year here in, in the world of the NIL and transfer portal, right? Jalen Adams doesn't make it past his freshman year here. You know, we don't get impact transfers like Matt Mobley and, and, and Marcus Posley. And, you know, and, and you could give a laundry list of, you know, really impactful players who either would never have stayed the duration. You know, you, you, you mentioned Dion Wright earlier, right? Dion didn't do anything really his freshman or sophomore year. I mean, you saw flashes, but the Dion Wright of his junior or senior year, Ladarian Griffin of his junior and senior year compared mm-hmm. to their freshman and sophomore years, completely different players. You'd never see those guys as junior and seniors because of the lack of playing time they would have got as freshmen. They would have been gone and in the portal. Mm-hmm. 
hundred percent. So, and that's what I was saying about Evans last year too. Like people were like, Oh, it, you know, is he not happy with playing time or maybe he'll transfer? And I was like, he played way more than Demetrius Conger, Dion Wright, um, Ladarian Griffin, those guys, you know, so, um, it's, it's a great point. And, you know, luckily we did get to where we are right before this happened. Otherwise we could be, you know, in a position of some of these other A-10 teams who have been finishing in the bottom half of the league and they can't get that momentum. And then this on top of everything, you know, it, it exacerbates it and it puts them even farther behind the eight ball where we're in a spot now where we are in that upper tier of the A-10 with VCU and Richmond and Davidson and even Dayton, uh, maybe not money-wise with Dayton, but we weren't really competing for those guys anyway you know we weren't we're not competing with villanova for players as it is so you know it, it's about how we can you know compete with our peers in the a10 and you know get the guys that fit our system and that's the thing our greatest selling point here is our fans it's the fact that yeah. we're all nuts right yeah <laughs> you know it, 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 you know, I, I, Woj said this to, in, in a, I was with him the other night and we were sort of talking about this and he goes, you know, people are, people get annoyed with us. We're, we get along so well because we never get sick of talking about it <laughs> in mm -hmm. some cases and honors and what it means to us and basketball and all these things. And, and I don't know how many other schools have that, right? You know, you know, you, you watch a you watch a game at Gola or um, at, you know at GW or some of these other places where you know or you know that flash in the rose thrill, right? You know, I, yeah. listen, I was at the Fordham game. There's nothing more satisfying than seeing an empty Rose Hill gymnasium <laughs> that we owned. I mean, yeah. you know, it, 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 you you look. I, I would argue, and and don't sleep on them if you've never been to Gentile Arena. The Loyola Chicago thing is real. They're a real fan base. They are mm -hmm. as nuts as we are about their school. Oh, yeah. I know plenty of alums. They love it, Dayton. But we're in that top tier, you know, of and I think that's what's gonna help us succeed is going to be the the fandom. If we can engage our fan base to participate at the level we need them to participate. Again, we don't need everybody to write ten thousand dollar checks. Right, but get them engaged. We're gonna be just fine, right? But the reality is, if we don't, and we turn a blind eye to this, and if we just, if we take the path of, you know, Schmidt's always figured it out. He's gonna figure this out. That, that is like the worst take possible. Yep. Right, because yep. the greatest coach you're seeing, you've seen in the last, you know, thirty six months, some of the greatest coaches in college basketball, just step away. Right, with nobody necessarily pushing them out the door because they don't want to deal with it. Right, they don't need to deal with it. They've made enough money in their lives um, to not have to to sit around and go. You know, I I just lost a a point guard in the transfer portal to another school because they outbid me by half a million dollars in NIL money as opposed to just wanting to go to Duke because you want to be the point guard at Duke. Right, so it, it, this isn't a coach will figure it out type of situation we we have to be as a university as a fan committee we have to be committed to this and by the way whether you like it or not whether you believe in this or not whether you think nil is a is a real thing is a good thing or not it, it, you know you can debate that all you want but it's here 
right? There's nothing you can do about it. So um, you either have to choose to, to, to get in. And I think that especially with our, with our collective and, 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 you know, the, the uh, couple hundred subscribers we have so far, um, you know, we're bought in and, and get it. Uh, I think, and I think that was the important part of Woj's challenge, you know, which is, you know, just, I want I don't want to forget that because I, I think Woj could have very easily anonymously done this um, and, and wrote a check and just said, Hey, here's what I want to do. I give him a lot of credit for doing this publicly. I think, you know, he is a very public figure, not only in our university committee, but a community, but it, nationwide. I mean, globally, he's, you know, he's one of, he's the, the trusted resource for, for NBA news and right. to put that on his main social channels, to put that on his Woj ESPN Instagram, retweet us, you know, on, on that and, and literally put the video, what he, what he, what he's committing to, I think should tell our university community as a whole and not just alums, by the way, I think that's what gets lost in some of this. And another thing that is uniquely Bonaventure, right? There's, I don't know what they've cut the RC down to in seats. I know when I was a student, it was like 6,000. What is 4,800? Yeah, somewhere right? around there. If there's 800 students in the building, there's still 4,000 people from only in Allegheny and the surrounding area who come to those games. And, you know, I'm, I'm married to a, a woman from Olean. And so I'm, I'm a, I'm a unique Bonagrad who, who, who has never left town, so to speak, but I'm not a local. And, and I know how important our program is to business. You know, you, all you need to do is step into a, a, a union street restaurant after a win, um, or an Allegheny bar prior to a game to see what <laughs> successful basketball does to our the inc- the the economy of of those of those two towns. You can't even step in them sometimes. Um, it's too busy. <laughs> that's right, and 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 it's more than basketball. And I think that's that's what we have to remind ourselves. In other schools, it is just about basketball. It is just about football. It is just about winning. But for Bonaventure, like so many other things, it's essential to our way of life, if you will. And and that might sound. Uh, it's not hyperbolic, right? It, I'm not, I don't no. think I'm exaggerating. And, and, um, and I, I implore people if, if you're unaware of what we're doing or, or how it works or anything, um, reach out to us, connect with us. If you have questions, any of, any of the seven of us or anybody else around us will, will happily jump on a phone call and, and, uh, or, you know, and, and talk you through it and answer any questions you've got. Um, and, you know, read up on what we're doing. Um, you know, I, I, I will say one of the, the things we've been a little slower on, admittedly, is getting out some of our um, some of our levels of fulfillment on our subscription numbers. There is a uh, there is a whole group of packages going out to our subscribers here in the next week, uh, which which I'm I'm excited that they'll get to get. And um, the 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 feedback has been really overwhelmingly positive, and and I'm hopeful we can we can get some continued support and, and embrace and, and, and continue to grow this thing. Well, it's, it's a great project that you're working on to, you know, get the money into the athletes hands and more importantly, keep Bonaventure basketball thriving college sports. The landscape has changed. We can either adapt or fall behind. This is something that is within our controls. Forget about conference realignment, TV deals. This is what we can do. Raising NIL money, a very important thing you're doing to keep Bonaventure basketball alive. Brian Conahan again from team Unfurl. Go ahead and follow them on all their social media platforms, Team Unfurl, 
and the website, exactly how it's spelled, teamunfurl.com. They start as low as 10 bucks for a subscription. Think about how many things like Netflix you don't use and you spend 10 bucks a month on. So, you know, consider Guys, I'm it. Te- I'd like to tease one, one big thing that we're going to have coming up. I was sure. able to close this deal over the weekend. I'm really, this, this was the alumni homecoming weekend uh, NIL deal. Uh, look for in 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 the coming weeks. Uh, w- one of the things that comes with all of our subscriptions are raffle tickets, okay? right? And so you you get a built-in raffle ticket, and we will also be selling additional raffle tickets. Our first raffle will be a original Dom Greco Captain Beer <laughs> game day experience. Oh man! Okay. <laughs> Where you and two of your other friends, the four of you, will attend a Bonaventure home game, 25, uh, 24-25 home game of your choice <laughs> with none other than the original Captain Beer, Dom Greco. There will, awesome. be, there will be Burton Burgers and beers pregame. Um, there will be uh, courtside seats at the student section, your own personalized beer hats, Oh, and um, what this is the uniquely Bonaventure things <laughs> that we're talking about, right? And that's what of all the potential auction raffle items I've talked to, this is the one that people have gotten the most excited from. So this is the, uh, <laughs> you know, this is the SBU Unfurled and Friends exclusive uh, <laughs> announcement of what our first raffle will be, uh, probably throughout the month of March. This is our own March Madness uh, raffle that will be awesome. I've hung out pregame with Dom. For free, and I'm excited by it. Like I thought you were gonna talk about an autograph basketball, autograph jersey, maybe a round of golf with Schmidt. No, this is this was a surprise. <laughs> it's an awesome surprise. There, there are things like that uh, lined up. Um, but you know, we, we thought there was no better way to uh to, to launch our raffles than um than than to uh to 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 put one behind one of our most honored sons. And uh, he he's happy to do it. And uh, w- you know, once we get the schedule, you we'll we'll have the raffle the entire month of March. Uh, we'll announce a winner, um, you know, right after right after Easter. And uh, once the schedule comes out, you'll pick uh, you'll pick your game, and uh, hopefully you get aligned schedules with Dom. And uh, yeah, that's that's the type of stuff we're we're trying to do because it is again uniquely Bonaventure. Throw a little hangover do. cure, uh, a small hangover cure into the the gift package as well. Maybe some Gatorades, some Tylenols for the morning after. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. I, I, absolutely. We'll 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 make sure we'll make sure that happens. We'll see if we can get a local pharmacy to sponsor us as well. <laughs> yeah, the Thrive awesome. IV, the hangover IVs that they're doing now. You just go in, you get a, a needle in your arm, and you're you know you're ready to oh, go. God. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, once again, thank you again, Brian Conahan from the Team Unfurl NIL Collective. Go ahead, follow him on all your favorite platforms online, teamunfurl.com if you're interested in becoming a donor. A lot of great perks for doing it. Starting at 10 bucks a month, going all the way up if you're a high roller, 500 a month, whatever you want, however you want to contribute. Very important in the college landscape these days. So, Brian, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Go Bonas. Thanks, Go Brian. Go Bonas. And thank you all so much for joining us here again on SB Unfurled and Friends. We had a long hiatus, but we are back, and we are going to give you plenty of great content before the A-10 tournament. On Thursday, we got a really big surprise for you, so be sure to stay tuned for that for before the UMass game. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at X at SB Unfurled. Unfurled is doing some great visual previews as we get down into the final days before the A-10 tournament. 
Be sure to also subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platforms. You know the ones you listen to. Be sure to find us there, subscribe, and give us a good rating if you have the ability to do so. Thank you all again for listening. Go Bonas. Yeah,